Here's what's ahead of us today on Abounding Grace. Something that we learn from Solomon, both as a fact and as a warning, is that we can have the wisdom of God and not follow it. We, we can be very wise and act very stupidly. We can be very wise. That means we know what we need to know and act very stupidly. As one pastor friend of mine likes to say, sin will make you stupid. And that's a testimony we can all share in various degrees. We know what we're supposed to do and we know what we should do, but we refuse to do it foolishly. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You From Calvary Chapel, Aurora, this is Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor has been leading us through 1 Kings in a chapter-by-chapter study, and here lately we've been studying the life of Solomon. In chapter 11, he's not in a good place, and his heart turned from the Lord. It can easily happen to us too, so we do well to see where things went wrong and learn how to avoid repeating these mistakes. Here's Ed. Luke's Gospel chapter 11 is where we'll start, and then we'll end up in 1 Kings chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and 1 Kings chapter 11. As we've been studying the life of Solomon, we've learned how God grew him in wealth and wisdom. His reputation spread around the world, catching the heart and the attention of the Queen of Sheba. And she made a visit to Solomon, and the end result of her visit was she was blown away by the wisdom of Solomon and how it was displayed, reflecting truly the wisdom of God. Now, don't think for a moment that Solomon was a perfect guy, or when we say he was walking in the wisdom of God, that he made all the right decisions. As we'll see in a moment, he doesn't, just like all of us. However, God was there in the kingdom, Evident through Solomon, through a broken vessel, which should encourage us because all of us are in a similar position, broken before the Lord. None of us are perfect, and yet God used him. Now, the Queen of Sheba, we learned last time as well that there were a couple myths going on with the Queen of Sheba and how, you know, how certain lineages may have come from a, a relationship between her and Solomon. But the visit was real and accurate. Now, you may come across people that will deny all sorts of things in the Bible. Well, you know, uh, Queen of Sheba never visited Solomon. Solomon wasn't real. Or that whole story about Jonah in the great fish. I'm sure you've heard someone has brought this up to you. You don't believe that, do you? That myth and that fairy tale. And if you're not careful, you might take on an argument that's really not yours to take on. You don't need to be arguing, I believe in Jonah and let me prove it to you. And I believe in Queen of Sheba, let me prove it to you. Because when somebody says they don't believe in things like the Queen of Sheba or like this true story of Jonah, their argument isn't with you and it's actually not even with the word of God. Their argument is with Jesus himself. Let me show you what I mean. The visit of Queen of Sheba was so significant 
It wasn't just a visit to see the wealth and wisdom of Solomon. And it wasn't just a visit to have another political alliance. And it wasn't just a visit, as we learned, so many great insights on how to serve the Lord with excellence and, and how to make sure that, that we are doing the best that we can with what we have in order not to stumble another brother, another sister, or another unbeliever that they wouldn't receive the gospel when they come to a facility or they come to an event. We want to do the best that we can with what we have. But there's more to that. It's even more significant as Jesus uses, well, notice with me, verse 29 of Luke chapter 11. While the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation and it seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Jesus doesn't call Jonah the prophet a myth or a fictional story. He says this generation wants to see a sign and no sign is going to be given except the one that Jonah the prophet, the true prophet of God, he says. As Jonah, verse 30, was, became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. What was the sign? Three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. What's the sign? Jonah thought he could run away from God's will and God swallowed him with a fish. By the way, the fish was the symbol of the God of the Ninevites. So God used something that they viewed as a God to swallow Jonah for his purposes, and the whole city gets saved. Jonah was supposed to go this way, and he went that way, and God got him that way, and the whole city got saved. Not just that, as we just celebrated the resurrection, that's the very sign to be looking for with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, you guys know Jonah? Yeah, I know Jonah. Well, that's the sign I'm giving you. I mean, these guys studied Jonah. They knew it backwards and forwards. That's the sign, the sign to look for. I'm, I'm in your midst, but not that. Notice verse 31. The queen of the south, which is also a phrase for the queen of Sheba, will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Where do we learn that the queen of the south visited Solomon? First Kings chapter 10. Jesus knew the scriptures, you know the scriptures. This was a real visit by a real queen to a real king that God established, David's son, Solomon. And as we're studying through, we're encouraged that God is validating his truths. You might even feel ill-equipped at times and tongue-tied when you're trying to talk to people about the things of God. But listen, the Lord is with you. And even if you're feeling tongue-tied and just don't know what to say, remember Jesus told the disciples when you're brought before those rulers, don't even worry about what you're going to say because I'm going to give you the words that you need right when you need them. And you can trust the work of the Spirit in your life. Now come back with me to 1 Kings chapter 11 uh, as we finish off at least the king's view of Solomon's life. As we turn now to this chapter, we find Solomon not walking in wisdom uh, as his heart is turned away from the Lord, which baffles us, I think. Because I'm sure if I was to survey the room today, no one's really planning among us how to walk away from God. Nobody's really thinking, you know, in a couple months, I'm done. I'm going to stick with this for two months, and then two months and a day, I'm going to turn my back on God. I'm going to deny everything I've ever heard about him. I'm not read the Bible anymore. I'm not... I'm, we don't even have the wisdom of Solomon. Although we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we weren't given the kind of wisdom that Solomon was given. And I don't think Solomon was planning his, his fall away from God. 
And if I was to survey the room and say, how many of you think you're going to fall away from God in the next year? Very few hands would, would rise. And the ones that did rise, you probably have a more tendency to condemn yourself. And so you're kind of a fearful person that you're just beating yourself up of something that didn't happen yet. And that's just kind of your personality. But you're not planning it. And you don't want it. Can I get an amen? Am I hitting a chord? You don't want to. I don't want to fall away. But let's not be naive enough to think that we wouldn't. Let's not be naive enough to think that given the right circumstances and the right timing and the right temptation, there isn't one of us in the room today that wouldn't turn our backs on Jesus. It's possible. We're human. I don't think Solomon was planning on having a chapter 11, but for unfortunately, and as I prayed for some, everyone, there are people that have chapter 11s in their life. Steps away from God. So notice verse one. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, for they surely will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives. That's not wise. And 300 concubines. And what happens? His wives turned away his heart. And I have it jotted a note down, just as God said. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just as God said. God's word is true. And you will find the promises of God just as God said. I was doing devotions in Joshua in the last couple weeks. And, and I was just so encouraged that not a word failed. God's promises. Not a word failed. And it goes for the positive and for the negative. And his wives turned his heart away just as God said. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as his heart was of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, or excuse me, Ammonites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh and the abomination of Moab on the hill that's east of Jerusalem and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And for he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. It all started with Pharaoh's daughter. That's where it started. Solomon marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And going back to Egypt, purchasing horses, chariots, marrying Pharaoh's daughters were the first steps of Solomon's unbelief. Here's a man with great wisdom walking in unbelief. There were political considerations, as we've learned. There were political considerations in these marriages would create treaties between Israel and the nations nearby. But in making these decisions in the spiritual realm... So you could look at it and go, you know, everybody in the world is doing it. I, there's a saying that people use today, when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. That, that's a purely physical way of looking at life. You, you might even find in your own life making compromises because of the environment that you're in. We think peer pressure is just re relegated to the teens, but peer pressure is in adults. We don't call it peer pressure for adults. For adults, we call it the fear of man. It's the same thing. Kids, it's peer pressure. 
where they're pressing down and they want to impress those that are around them. So you find the kids doing things that their friends are doing because they're not strong enough to stand up. And these steps of unbelief in the, in the physical realm, that's what you see. In the spiritual realm, their hearts are turning away from the Lord. And Solomon, by making these treaties with these women in the physical realm, he's going to fulfill the political considerations, although God never told him to do that. And even as he's going to have different women in his life, he's going to fulfill the, the sexual lusts of his life. God never told him to fulfill that way. What Solomon's really doing in the spiritual realm is he's expressing his lack of believing God at his word, that God would protect a nation. And he didn't believe that his heart would be turned away by these women with foreign gods. He didn't believe it. God said, your heart's going to be turned away, and he just didn't believe it, took his chances. Something that we learn from Solomon, both as a fact and as a warning, is that we can have the wisdom of God and not follow it. We, we can be very wise and act very stupidly. Let me repeat that in case you're taking notes. We can be very wise. That means we know what we need to know and act very stupidly. As one pastor friend of mine likes to say, sin will make you stupid. And that's a testimony we can all share in various degrees. We know what we're supposed to do and we know what we should do, but we refuse to do it foolishly. When it says that Solomon loved many foreign women, 700 wives, 300 concubines, it's telling us that Solomon acted foolishly and disobediently, just exactly as God would said would happen, happened. That's one way, when you come in for biblical discipleship, you know, you call up and you have a problem and you want answers from God's word, and so you meet with a pastor, you meet one of the wise ladies here, and, and you might come in and, and we're talking to you about things, and you might say, you know, I, I'm you're working through one of the most difficult things a marriage could ever go through, a, a sexual immorality. And you come in and you go, no, you know, I, I had an affair. 99% of the time, I'm thinking the pastor or the person talking to you is going to correct you and give you the biblical terminology for that. You sin by committing adultery. That's the sin. Because if you don't call it what God calls it, then you don't agree with God. And if you don't agree with God, then you're not going to take God's remedy you know, for an affair, you go, well, you just stop it and move on. But for adultery, you repent with godly sorrow. And you begin to rebuild what the enemy has tried to destroy in your life. And we need to be careful to let the Bible say what it says. And not to redefine things. And if God says something, and I encourage you, before you go to bed tonight, just read Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let it just sink in of God's warning years and years earlier. And not only did he receive his warning, but he received his wisdom, and he still acted very foolishly. You can't, go, you can't go against God's word and expect to get away with it. You can't go against God's word and expect that good results are going to come. Now, some of you might be going, you know, I understand, Pastor. I've been getting away with it for years. Well, you really haven't been getting away with anything because you just admitted to me you think you're getting away with it, but you're not really not getting away with it. So you're really not. So, in, you know, if, well, let's start there. But number two... The Bible says that God, everything is open before the eyes of God. Like we are, we're all clothed in sweatshirts, you know, and we're here. But God, he sees us in our purity. And he uses the word nakedness, if you can imagine. It would be very uncomfortable uh, if we saw what God saw. Because no facades, nothing hidden before God. That should both encourage us and shake us a little bit. Nothing hidden before God. 
There's nothing hidden in this room before God. There's nothing hidden in your car as you listen to the radio. Nothing hidden in your front room. Nothing hidden as you have it, uh, the, the live stream up on your TV. There's nothing hidden before God. Nothing hidden. You're getting away with nothing. And you can't expect to go against God's word and expect a good result. Neither can I. By the way, the greatest discontentment among men and women, specifically in marriages, but also among some singles, is the idea that I'm not in love anymore and someone else will make me happier and much more fulfilled. That's a lie from the devil himself. Because you made a covenant with your wife or your husband. You made a commitment. And if you have that attitude, well, you know, I'll just leave her and I'll just leave him and try someone else, that you'll be so much better, you're lying to yourself. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what God's design is for your life and mine. God's perfect design is for us to follow him at his word. And when our feelings don't match what they were maybe years ago, then we fall back on our commitments and our covenants. Now, I realize that some of you are in the midst of great pain because of a indiscretion, a sinful indiscretion by your spouse. And I'm sorry. It's not God's heart for you to be so broken. And I know some of you have a divorce perhaps in your past and you might take something like this as condemnation and it's not condemnation. Sometimes sin happens in our lives. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's the other person's fault. Sometimes it's a combination. But there's forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, forgiveness isn't like to go out and go, well, I think pastor just gave me permission to sin. You're not listening to me. I wanna comfort the brokenhearted tonight and warn anyone that might be planning sin. You can't expect, you can't expect to go against God's word and think the result's gonna be good. And, and if you're still wavering and I'm still not convincing you, call me or email me. And I'll put you together with a couple, with their permission, of course. And they can tell you how painful it's been. And they can tell you what they're dealing with with their kids. And they can tell you the financial disaster. And they can tell you of the sexual disease. You just tell me what you want to hear, and we've ministered to people that have been in any of those categories. There's restoration. There is hope for reconciliation. So please, don't allow your feelings to cause you to go against the will of God. Solomon went from woman to woman, concubine to concubine, looking for fulfillment, for happiness and satisfaction, but only found frustration, pain, consequence, sorrow, and ultimately his heart was turned away from God. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. And you'll really get the sense of Solomon's feelings at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes, it means vanity, emptiness. And reading Ecclesiastes, you're going to question sometimes, is a man of God writing this? Is Solomon really writing this? As he reveals and surveys his life and he finds out at the end, the only thing that matters is pleasing God. That's the end result of life. Let me give you another thing to consider as we move through this chapter. Prosperity and success tends to turn a person's heart away from the Lord. I've seen it happen over and over again. When times are tough, people desperately call upon God. They're crying out to him. Prayer meetings are filling up. The year that I got saved, I walked into a room just like this, about two and a half, three times larger than this. It was packed, standing room only in that room. Why? Because it was the beginning of the Gulf War. And our country hadn't been in war for years. And people were afraid and concerned. 
and the church was filled with people, including myself. My brother-in-law was just deployed, along with a lot of other things going on in our lives that helped get me through the doors of a church, which was big enough just to get through the doors. But it was packed on a Wednesday night. 3,500 people coming to worship God. Why? Because it was difficult. It was hard. The world was in turmoil. And when people desperately call upon the Lord, this is what happens. They seek the Lord. God answers their prayer. He blesses them. He loves those that turn toward him. He encourages. He strengthens. Because of his love, he pours out blessings. And then tragically, when a person is blessed and things are going well, they lose sight or tend to lose sight of God. Material things take a primary position in their life, beginning to crowd out the things of the Lord. Commitment is gone, devotions fade, and soon their hearts are turned after ever their things. And as desperately as we would want trials to leave our, our lives, trials are keeping us close to the Lord. They're keeping us desperate. They're keeping us pressing in. Israel under Solomon is the most prosperous it ever was. The most material possessions they ever had. And it was during this time, along that time of Solomon's reign, that Solomon disobeyed and paid the price. You're listening to Abounding Grace, and we've been noticing how Solomon ended poorly. This is part of Ed Taylor's study in 1 Kings, and you can hear it again online at calvaryaurora.org. Search for 1 Kings 11, or call and ask for the CD at 877-30-GRACE. It's just $2. Ed, you pointed out at the end of today's message that there's a danger that comes with success and prosperity, and that we can easily drift away from the Lord. We've seen this repeated through the ages. Why do you think this happens? And could it be that this is a reason why the Lord chooses not to bless us with more than He has? Well, I can say this, Larry, you know, blessings from the Lord come because of His grace. And, you know, none of us deserve the blessed relationship that we have or any of the abundant blessings that we have. So we, we don't deserve them, and, and God is ready to give them. But I have found this to be true. Prosperity has a way of just turning people's heart away from the Lord. You know, when times are tough, like when times are hard, there is a desperation in our heart. And we're crying out to the Lord, and we're broken, and we're struggling, and we're in a, in a major way of pressing in, and we're so close. But then when things get better, we don't cry out to God so much. This has happened to me. I mean, after my son passed away, there was such a great desperation in my life for years. And then as God began to lift some of the burden of grief from my life, I found that old habits would start to pop up in my life again. Maybe the old habit of not praying as much or not being as desperate. You would think uh, that, that the desperation would stick around, but as, as God heals, because he says he will, uh, he says that he's the God of all comfort, and I believe that and have experienced that, so that when comfort comes, it takes away the edge of desperation, and before you know it, we're relying upon our own stuff and our own feelings, but yet when our feelings are out of control or our thoughts are out of control, or there's no money in the bank, or there's no food in the cupboard, we're crying out to God like crazy. You know, you remember back um, after the horrific tragedy in 9-11, you know what happened in the coming months after 9-11? Churches were packed with people seeking God, desperate to hear from Him. And then over time, as it wore off, 
churches began to go back to normal. And so it's just important that, man, Lord, protect us from easing up as you bless us, and that we might have a life of desperation, no matter what we have. You know, if we have a lot, you know, like Paul said, he learned how to abound and how to be abased. Either way, we learn to be content with you, Lord, and press in. So Larry, that's a great question. I hope you guys listening in just know that even as the blessings of God come and things get easier and better, and maybe there's more money in the bank than last year and more food in the cupboard, that your desperation for God and the the intensity of your relationship would not be lessened. God bless. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. But we can't do it alone. We look to our listeners to help us provide these daily studies. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we will send you Jesus Revolution by Greg Laurie and Ellen Vaughn. You'll be encouraged as you hear how God transformed an unlikely generation and how he can most certainly do it again. Call us right now at 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org. If you're writing, here's our address, Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Then join us next time when we'll pick up what we left off in 1 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora.